There are two readings today. The first is taken from Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. Um, and this can be found on page 791 of your church Bibles. Um, while the second reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, which could be found on page 977. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? No, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came, and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. I'll turn to Ephesians chapter 3. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles 
the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Amen. Good evening, and a very warm welcome to you. Uh, my name's Rohan. I don't know if we've, I've met all of you before, but it is lovely to meet you all. If you could, if you could keep your Bibles open to Haggai chapter 1, and if you could, on the back of the service sheet, there is an outline of the service and where we're going for the next 25 minutes. Before we begin, though, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our path. We pray that as we open up your word and spend time together, that you would be working through your word in our hearts by your spirit. Lord, we pray that we might see you more clearly. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. I wonder how good you are at prioritizing the right things. There are lots in our lives that need juggling. We need to juggle work and sleep, seeing family and our friends. And then there's the things we do. There's our hobbies and our responsibilities. And it is a balancing act trying to work out what to prioritize. For lots of us, we will have had um, holidays over the summer or we are about to go on holiday. And we will have to choose how to spend our time. Who will we see? Who will we spend time with? How will we spend time together with them? How will we rest before heading back to work? Haggai is a small book in the Old Testament, but it has a big message for us. Their priority then was to rebuild the temple. It was through the temple that God's glory was manifest, was made known to the world. Things have changed. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're not sitting in a temple in Jerusalem. So what is our equivalent? How do we glorify God today? Well, earlier, Candice read out for us Ephesians 3. Let me reread verse 10 for us. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God's might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So God's glory was made known in the book of Haggai through the temple. Today, God's glory is made known through the church. And that's the church not as a building, but the church as God's people. And so today, if we are here and we believe in Jesus, that is us. Haggai is trying to get us to reflect as God's people, where do our priorities lie? Do we prioritize glorifying God's or do we try and prioritize glorifying ourselves? And so then, Haggai is a small book, but it is packing a big punch. It has a lot to say to us as we try to prioritize serving God as a church family together, but also individually in our own lives. And so for the next 25 minutes, we're going to see two big points. You'll see them on the back of your service sheet. Firstly, God's people must have God's priorities. So consider your ways. Secondly, we'll see that God's people have God's help 
as they glorify God. So let's take the first one then. God's people must have God's priorities in verse 1 to 11. In Haggai, we meet God's people at a low point in their history. For years and years and years, they've had bad king after bad king after bad king. And these kings have led them to worship other gods. And so, after hundreds of years, this god, as he warned, has sent them into exile into Babylon. Time passes, decades later, Babylon is defeated by the Persian king Cyrus. And he sends the people home and decrees them, tells them to rebuild the temple. This should be really, really good news. The Israelites, God's people, are coming home. They can rebuild the temple with the king's permission. But here, in Haggai, we meet them not rebuilding the temple. Darius, that Cyrus's grandson, is king, and they haven't rebuilt the temple. In fact, if we were to reread the book of Ezra, we would see that all they have is an altar surrounded by a pile of ruins. Something has gone terribly wrong. Haggai tells us they've stopped rebuilding the temple because they have the wrong priorities. Come with me to verse 2. God's people are saying that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of God. God speaks through Haggai in verse 4 and says, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, that's God's house, lies in ruins? And so God is saying, how can, it, how can it be a time for your houses to be built and not my house? How is, it a t- how is it a time that your houses are finished, but my house remains unfinished? How is it a time for you to have your fancy wallpaper while my house lies in a pile of ruin? How can it be a time for one and not a time for the other? You see, the time to rebuild the temple, God's house, was when they returned to Jerusalem. The people are making excuses. What they're really saying is that the time will never come to rebuild God's house. Not rebuilding the temple was more serious than a half-finished building project. You see, the ruined temple and their unwillingness to rebuild it is a reflection of the people's hearts. The temple was the place of God's presence and of God's glory, and so not to rebuild it is a statement about what they think about God. I was trying to think of um, analogies or illustrations for this point, and the best I could think of was, I guess Parliament in London is currently undergoing some work to stop it falling apart. But imagine for a second if we were to leave the Palace of Westminster to slowly decay. The roof starts leaking, the walls crack, the windows get smashed, mold grows, and the wallpaper peels. Letting all of this happen would be bigger than just letting an old building slowly come to ruin. It would be a reflection about what we thought about the government, about what we thought of the Houses of Parliament. It would be a statement about what we thought mattered as a country, and that ultimately we didn't think Parliament mattered. And so likewise, God's people, not rebuilding his temple, was more than just an unfinished building project. It is a statement about what they think about God and what they're prioritizing. 
The unfinished temple is a reflection of the state of their hearts. So then, what does God have to say about all of this? Well, twice, God tells them to consider their ways. First in verse 5, and the second in verse 7. So we'll see, first of all, in verse 5 to 6, that God asks them to consider their ways, because not prioritizing God is fruitless. Not prioritizing God is fruitless. The people have been living for themselves, but they haven't been satisfied in verse 6. They've been growing their crops, but they've been harvesting very little. They eat, but they never quite have enough to satisfy their appetites. They drink, but they never quench their thirst. They have clothes, but they're not warm enough. They are dissatisfied. In turning away from God's, they have turned inward to themselves, to what they want. And ultimately, they haven't found what they're looking for. Prioritizing themselves, their comfort, their finished houses, their desires and pleasure hasn't been satisfying. And so God says through Haggai that not prioritizing glorifying him like they were meant to do is like earning wages only to put them in a wallet or a purse full of holes. It's fruitless. Only in God will we find lasting satisfaction. God's people then had started putting their own desires and their own comfort before God's glory. And I think as God's people today, we face the same temptation, don't we? We want to place our desires at the center of our lives, our own comfort, our own pleasure. And we look at everyone else around us, they seem to be doing it. They seem to do what they want, when they want, how they want. But God, through Haggai, asks us to consider our ways. Are our misplaced desires worthwhile? Will they lead to lasting satisfaction? For lots of us here, we will be Christians trying to glorify God, trying to prioritize him. And so Haggai's message for us is to keep going and to remember, even though we'll be tempted to go our own way, that our misplaced desires are not worthwhile. Only God will satisfy. So keep on prioritizing him. God's people must have God's priorities, so consider your ways. Not prioritizing God is fruitless. In verse 7, we have a second consider your ways. In verse 7 to 11. And it's very similar to the first one. And I guess both of them are trying to reorientate our hearts and God's people's priorities. And so in verse 7 to 11, God asks his people to consider their ways. We are to glorify God. We are to glorify God. In verse 8, God tells them to build his house that he might be glorified in it and that he might take pleasure in it. And so the implication is that up until this point, they've been glorifying themselves and taking pleasure in themselves. God is due his pleasure and his glory, not in a narcissistic way, but in a way that is proportionate to who he is and what he's done for his people. You see, it was God who created the heavens and the earth, who chose his people, who made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who rescued them from slavery in Egypt, 
who took them through the wilderness to the promised land. And so it is this God who asks his people to give him the rightful glory that he is due, to rebuild his temple. In verse 9 to 11, we see that God has been giving them warning signs that they should have been rebuilding his temple. Come with me to verse 10. Let me reread it. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. I don't know how that sounds to you, but for some of us, maybe that sounds a bit cruel. But if you can, if you can flick with me to Haggai chapter 2, verse 17, it should just be on the same page or the next page. I'll read out Haggai chapter 2, verse 17. God says this, I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and mildew and with hail. So that's the things we've just read in chapter 1, verse 10. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Do we see what's going on? God has withheld his blessing in order that the people might turn to him. Notice from 2 verse 17, the right response to these warning signs, these flashing red lights, was to turn to God. But they didn't. In fact, God warned them that this, there would be consequences for not glorifying him, all the way back in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Because we live after Christ, God deals with us differently today. Christ has taken on the curses of the law. He has taken on the punishment that we deserve. God has given us time in order that we might now come to know Christ. And so that means that our suffering is not always linked with our sin today. Suffering does not mean that God is punishing us for some sin in our lives. Because of Christ, we are not under the curse of the law, but God is consistent. He has warned that there are consequences for our sin. Living without glorifying God will be judged when Christ returns. And so, as they then were called to consider their ways and to glorify God, so too are we. They then were to rebuild the temple making God's glory known to the nations around them. And we are, as we read from Ephesians 3, to glorify God corporately as a church family. How do we glorify God as a church? Well, we are to prioritize building each other up, pointing each other to Christ, serving one another, and sharing the gospel with others, growing the church family. The church is one way God's glory is made known throughout the world. As Roger mentioned earlier, as a church, we have an actual building project going on. We are not rebuilding the temple. We're redeveloping our old buildings so that we might better reach the people of Morningside with the gospel. Our passage tonight is not about getting us to build an actual structure here in Edinburgh, but it will have an impact on how we use our new building. How will we use it to prioritize glorifying God? So we are to prioritize glorifying God corporately as a church, but we also glorify God individually in the way we live our lives. Back then, the people of God kept on putting off rebuilding God's house. They kept on delaying it. 
They are kept on delaying glorifying God. And so if I wonder for us today, the challenge is for us not to delay glorifying God. Not to think that when we graduate, then we will glorify God with our time. Not to delay glorifying God until we get married and then put to death a particular sin. Maybe we think we'll wait and glorify God with our money when we get that promotion. Maybe we think we'll glorify God when we retire, then we can start properly serving the church. There are lots of reasons we might delay wholeheartedly committing to Jesus. God says we are to glorify him now. There is no time like the present to glorify him in serving at church with our money, our time, and our holiness, our lives. So then, God asks us to consider our ways, make God's glory known as a church, corporately, together, but also individually in our lives. Do not delay in glorifying God wholeheartedly. So then we've seen God's people must have God's priorities. Not prioritizing God is fruitless. Consider your ways. We are to glorify God now. Okay, take a breather. We've done some heavy lifting for a Sunday evening in the middle of summer. But the people then needed waking up. And we've been challenged to think about what really matters and our own priorities. And as we come to verse 12 to 15, we're going to see God's help. So if we felt challenged so far, God has some encouraging truths for us to hear as we try to go about prioritizing glorifying him. This takes us on to our second point in verse 12 to 15. God's people have God's help. How? Well, we have God's words and we have God with us. Let me reread verse 12 to 15 again for us. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius, the king. I don't know about you, but I found verse 12 kind of surprising, especially for Old Testament prophets. The people listen. The people obey God. And it's surprising. It's shocking. At the end of verse 12, it says that the people feared the Lord. And that is, the people see God as he rightly is. They see God as one deserving of glory. And so because of that, they see themselves as they rightly are, recognizing their sinfulness. Now, they understand their need for forgiveness, for not prioritizing glorifying God, for not rebuilding his temple, for not trying to make his glory known. And so their recognition of God as one deserving of glory and of their own sin leads to repentance, and repentance leads them to action. Notice the date at the end of verse 15. 
That's 23 days after they first hear from God, they begin rebuilding the temple. So the first application to us is that we can be encouraged. We have God's words. God's spirit stirs up through his words. God's people obey God's words that have come through the prophet Haggai. And the result is that God's word changes people. It breaks through their complacency. It changes their priorities. And so God's word, through God's messenger, changes them. In verse 14 and 15, it is God's spirit that stirs them up to work on the temple. And so it is God's spirit and God's word working together, hand in hand, that stirs the people up to obey him. We too, as we listen to God's words, will be stirred up by his spirit to obey him. And so are we listening to him? Are we listening to his words? Because we can be certain that God's work, God is at work by his spirit through his words. And by that, he is changing our priorities in our lives. Throughout this chapter and the whole book, much is made of the fact that Haggai is God's messenger and that his message is God's message. In verse 12 and 13, it says that the people obey the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. You see, it's God's voice through Haggai that they've heard. In verse 13, Haggai is called a messenger of the Lord who speaks with the Lord's message. God wants his people to be certain that Haggai's message was his message. As we read the Bible today, we have written down God's words to his people through prophets like Haggai in the Old Testament. But as Christians, we also have the words of Jesus, of God in flesh, written down in the New Testament and the Gospels. And we also have the words of his apostles, that's his witnesses. And so we today continue to have God's help through his words in the Bible. God's spirit has always worked through his words to stir his people up. But we've seen firstly that we can be encouraged. We have God's help through his words. The second and final application comes from verse 13. God says that we've got his words, but he also says that we have him. Let me reread verse 13 for us. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you, declares the Lord. And so God says that as his people go about glorifying him, they won't do it alone. God's work always comes with God's help. And so if they then felt challenged to prioritize glorifying God, in these verses we see God's kindness to them, encouraging them that they won't be alone as they try to glorify him. Just as God promised to be with his people then, he has promised that he will be with us today. In Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, Jesus sends out his disciples and he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says to his disciples, I am with you always to the end of the age. God doesn't promise us that glorifying him will be easy or that it will be a doddle. In fact, he says it will be costly. But God does promise us himself. He does promise us that he will be with us. He will be with us as we try to glorify God as a church family. He will be with us individually in our lives as we make his glory known throughout the world. God's people have God's help in his words and in himself. He is with us. And so as we close, if earlier we felt challenged by our need to keep prioritizing God's glory, we can be encouraged. God is at work by his spirit through his words. We can trust that as we open up God's word, he is powerfully at work in our hearts to change our priorities. And as we keep to try prioritizing him if we're Christians, we can be encouraged to know God has promised to be with us until the end of time. So then, keep prioritizing glorifying God. Do not delay. Be spurred on knowing that we have God and his words with us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the challenge to us to not delay prioritizing you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that only you can satisfy. And we thank you that as we try to keep you at the center of our lives, to keep prioritizing, glorifying you, that you are with us, that we have your help and that we have your words. And so I pray that you would encourage us and spur us on to keep glorifying you. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. I'm now going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to stand to sing, Be Thou My Vision. It's one of my favorite songs, and it is a prayer that God might be our vision, that we might keep him as our focus as we walk through life. So, if you can, let us stand to sing as the band leads us in worship.